Okay, cool. Let's get into this. So I want to uh, do something maybe a little bit different today. I wanted to walk you through a, <clears throat> a spiritual practice or a meditation. But before I do that, I wanted to um, I wanted to look at the creation story from Genesis. Uh, I've been I've been having a thought lately. Uh, those of you that have been following, and I think most <clears throat> people who are going to watch this have been following for some time. So you know how my thoughts been evolving on some of these things, but I, I want to hear from you in the comments because um, I'm just thinking this through. Kind of want to introduce maybe a new idea or an idea I've been working with, but using some different language to talk about it, and then <clears throat> walk us through a spiritual practice that relates to it. But I'd love to hear your feedback and your thoughts as this is kind of an evolving idea for me. So. It's interesting when I, when I opened to Genesis chapter one, because when I was, uh, still preaching on Sunday mornings to a congregation of people, <clears throat> I spent several months just on Genesis. Um, I was going to go through the first chapter and I ended up spending several months on just a few verses in, uh, in the book of Genesis. And I couldn't get out of the three, the first three verses. And it's amazing to me that I could spend months on that. But I want to come back to it with this idea. Um, it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we kind of, we talk about seven days of creation and there are seven days of creation. But it's interesting that in the first verse, uh, heavens and earth are created. But now watch this. It says the earth was without form and void. Or in the Hebrew, it paints this picture that it was very chaotic. There was no order to it. There was no nothing inhabiting it without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. So the structure of reality, according to Genesis 1, in the cosmology is... One of polarities. This is so important because it's my opinion, and I think it's obvious, I think it's self-evident that we live in a world of polarities, light, darkness, hot, cold, um, heavens, earth. I mean, we can think of all kinds of different polarities that we could talk about, right? Things that are on a spectrum, but there are different ends of the spectrum. So hot, cold, light, darkness. Um, gosh, other examples are just escaping me right now, but those are the ones that we have here. But something I always found interesting in verse two is that verse two is really the polarity of what scripture later tells us about God. It's the opposite. In other words, without form and void, Paul says in one place that God is not the author of confusion, but the author of peace. And without form and void is definitely this idea of a chaotic mass of confusion and that kind of stuff. And then in the Hebrew, the, the word for deep there is where we get the word the abyss or hell or tehom. Uh, it's this idea of these chaotic forces that are working in the world. And, of course, darkness. And if God is light, as John says, then in him there is no darkness. So we, we see these polarities on the one end of light, but God creating darkness and then God separating the darkness from the light and creating these polarities that we live in. And the issue that is being corrected, if you will, or is being addressed in 
the creation account in Genesis 1 is God working with these polarities in order to fill it and give it order. So without form, in, order, in other words, to give it shape or form and then to fill it. And so, for example, God later on separates the waters from above and the waters from below. He separates the sea and the land. He's giving formation to stuff. Then he fills the sea with fish. He fills the land with vegetation and animals and people. And so God created a world of diversity. And so, yeah, so I, I, I want to get into the kind of the issue of oneness, but I don't want to because um, <laughs> I know it's controversial. But um, the reality is we're not living in a world that was created that was just oneness or, or, or sameness, but by creating the mineral kingdom, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, insect kingdom, the, the sea, everything that's in the sea, uh, there's tremendous diversity that is there in all of this. And so the fact that we're living in this world of polarity my idea is that perhaps instead of trying to seek out oneness in the sense that I think, at least that I hear oneness when people are talking about that, that perhaps the way to best live our lives is to live it in a place of harmony. In other words, to live in harmony with what's here versus unity in the sense of oneness or sameness with what's here, but realizing that we as human beings, you are a point of consciousness. So if we begin with the structure of reality as uh, spiritual and natural, that you are a spirit being, but you are also a human being. If we begin with the idea that we live in this world of diversity, and if we begin with this idea that each one of us is an aspect of the divine or created in the image of God, then the reality is, is that you are a point of consciousness that is experiencing the world, experiencing the created order, experiencing the created universe, being both a spirit being and a human being. And as you go through your life, as you go through your experiences, this point of consciousness is having different, different experiences of itself. In other words, um, my son was just down here asking if he could use an iPad. His point of consciousness right now is the consciousness of a 10-year-old. So he has the reading ability, mathematical ability, um, social ability, personality and opinions of a 10-year-old, but yet he is a steady point of consciousness that is going to travel throughout his life. So I suspect, I hope anyway, when he's in his 20s, he's going to be different. He's going to have a different knowledge base. He's going to know things then that he doesn't know now. He's going to have the mental capacity to understand things that he doesn't understand now. He's going to relate differently to adults as a 20-year-old than he's relating right now as a 10-year-old. And then when he becomes, you know, when he gets married, if he gets married, has children, if he has children, he's going to know himself as a father. He's going to know himself as a, as a spouse or a partner or a husband, he's going to know himself in the context of whatever career choices that he makes. And the experiences of his life is going to shape all that stuff, right? But what's going to remain steady is that 
center point of consciousness. So one way I heard one uh, writer describe this is it's like, think about yourself as an aspect of God that is peering out at the world. And that aspect of God, that point of consciousness that goes with him everywhere he goes, even though his opinions change, his mind changes, his knowledge changes, personality is going to change, social settings going to change, perhaps where he lives is going to change. But that center of consciousness is going to remain the same. Now, what happens to us is that we lose that sense of the abiding fixed center that is the divine presence that we are or that is in our lives. And we become so immersed in various different aspects of ourselves that we can get stuck there. And that's what I would refer to or what a lot of people in spiritual teachings call the ego. You're just kind of stuck right now in a opinion of yourself or you're stuck in a ideology or a philosophy or you're stuck in a personality pattern that you identify as yourself. Uh, so someone who has a shame-based identity is stuck in their mistakes. They're stuck in their shortcomings. They, they, they over-identify with what they view to be mistakes or what they view to be problems in their lives. And then that makes up most of their internal thought and emotion and experience. And so in this sense, then ego in terms of being separation from God is not this perception of being separate from the God that is outside of you. It's to lose that abiding center that you are. So if you think about the solar system, the sun is the center of the universe and, and everything is revolving around it. So when we get stuck in aspects of ourselves where we totally identify with some aspect of ourselves, and it could be any aspect, it could be uh, any identity that we try to take with ourselves. It could even be your gender identity. You could get stuck in identifying so much as a man or identifying so much as a woman that you become your perception becomes distorted in the sense or you lose yourself in the sense that you operate more as the earth and it appears uh and and, and so you're revolving your things aren't fixed uh, night and day is occurring the seasons of spring, fall, and winter, and all that stuff. And so all this massive change that's going on. But when you begin to identify with the center, uh, you, you withdraw your energy from those things and bring your energy back into your center point. Then you are identifying more as the sun, if you will, as that fixed place that's always um, has full perception of what's going on and is watching everything kind of revolve around it and observing experiences and things that are going on, but from this fixed point. Now, we live in this world of polarity, so I want to give you another example of what I'm talking about. Because I think the the goal for us is to find balance in the midst of this world of diversity and polarity, this universe of diversity and polarity, both spiritually and materially that we live in is to find this balance. So if you think of a fulcrum or a fulcrum would be an example of a fulcrum would be a teeter totter. 
So I don't know how many of you ever played with teeter-totters or on teeter-totters with your friends when you were kids, but you think about, you know, that it's going up and down and things like this. But every once in a while as kids, we would go out to the, uh, the playground and we would balance the board, right? We would balance it so it was evenly across. You had the fulcrum in the center and it was evenly across like this with no weight going one way or the other. And the teeter-totter would just, and I remember kind of balancing with my friends and we'd step back and then it would stay even. And I think that might be the goal that we're after. And so I want to talk a little bit about what that might look like and then walk us through a spiritual practice of maybe how we can regain connection with that center and, uh, and find that place where our fulcrum is balanced. And if we could live life from that place of balance, then we have access to both the light and the darkness, the, the light and the shadow self. We are living in a place that is independent of judgment in the sense that we're living in a place of total harmony and total acceptance of things as the way they are and then begin to move from that place. And when we begin to move through life from that place, then we are in that fixed place and we really are experiencing our own divinity. I hope that kind of makes sense to you. Now I've been digging into a work uh, that Brian Scott turned me on to. And if you guys don't uh, subscribe to Brian Scott's channel, um, <clears throat> the reality revolution, if you don't have his book, um, I, I really encourage you to, um, look at the stuff he's putting out. He's probably the most prolific spiritual voice on YouTube that I know. And he's consistently putting out all kinds of really good quality stuff. But one of the things that he spends a lot of time on and one of the things that he introduced me to was this concept of reality transurfing. And reality transurfing was a, is the name of a book that was written by a Russian author. I can't remember the name. I'll put it in the comments. Um, it's a, it's a thick book. Uh, but he's a Russian physicist who wrote about reality transurfing and talks about things like faith or things like the law of attraction in a way that's very sophisticated and a little bit different. But I like the way that he talks about that. So I've been digging into the material on reality transurfing, both on Brian's channel and in the book. And one of the things, one of the main concepts in reality transurfing that he talks about <clears throat> is he talks about pendulums of reality or uh, an energy swing. So again, a pendulum is another example of centering, right? So if you think about a pendulum like on a clock that's going back and forth like this, it can it can stop its motion in a center place or it can be swinging back and forth. So they talk about these pendulum swings that we go through where there is just, you can think about it this way. There's just this massive flow of group energy that can pick us up and carry us to one side of the pendulum or the other. And that as a rule, most human beings tend to get caught up in these pendulum swings. And it's easy to do. It's not a question of can you get caught up in these things are a question of if you'll get caught up in these things. It's a reality that we do get caught up in these pendulum swings. And when you practice centering, then you can begin to notice these pendulums. You can begin to notice how they're, how the energy is carrying you to one side or to the other. And you can certainly observe it as patterns 
in the human species and in our communities. And boy, have we seen that on full display in the last couple of years for sure. These group energies, and I want to just make you aware of that today, that there are, there are powerful energies, waves of energy that you can get caught up in that will knock you off your balance, that'll knock you out of the fulcrum. It'll tilt the teeter-totter to one side or the other. It'll move the pendulum to one direction or the other. And so I'd like to invite you to start to think about experiencing life in this balanced, harmonious way where you're aware of these energy swings and these energy patterns and these energy movements. Like if we think about thought forms, if we think about group thought forms, if we think about group uh, energies and emotions and they're trying to move, there's, there's an energy in these systems and an energy in these groups that are trying to move them to one way or the other, to get them to choose sides, so to speak, then uh, what happens is it's just very easy for us to get swept along in those waves, especially if we don't have some spiritual practices that will ground us and that will center us and that will help us find this place of harmony in this central point. Now, one other point I want to make that I think is really important is that like the former religious system that I was part of, we wanted to, it, it was a pendulum. We wanted to be all the way over. It was a pendulum based on dualism, that there is, there is a dichotomy, an absolute dichotomy or difference, a binary difference, an on-off switch, a one, a one and a two, right? An either and an or of good and evil. So on one side, you have forces, you have God, you have angels, you have beings of light, and you have, uh, and they are all pure good with no evil. They're all light with no darkness. And then over on this other side, you have that which is purely evil. There's nothing redemptive about them, nothing good about them. They don't serve any purpose. They're just purely evil. And then this, these things are like fighting with each other. And then you as a being, have a spiritual being that is all pure and all good and over here on light, but then you have a, a human being, a flesh, a carnality, a soul that is completely over here and aligned with darkness and aligned with evil. And so the goal was to eradicate or to extract yourself completely from what we might call the negative polarity, which is still a judgment, <clears throat> but for the sake of Terminology would just say the negative energy, the negative polarity or your human experience. Kill your human humanity. Um, <clears throat> kill all the various unpleasant emotions like fear and anger. Uh, kill your sexuality. Kill lust. Uh, all these various different things that are part of the human experience that have helped us to evolve and survive as a species for as long as we have on planet Earth. All those things are evil and darkness. And we need to destroy them. We need to extract ourselves from them. We need to kill them, whatever the case may be, and be all the way over here. That's actually a pendulum. That's actually trying to push you in one direction and preventing you from living in a place where you're centered and balanced and harmonious. And it, it, it requires that we are making value judgments about things. That we are not, in other words, that we are resisting certain things and not allowing them to be as they are, <laughs> but we are 
rejecting those things as evil. And then this bleeds over into the way that we relate to one another. And if we get caught up in these group pendulums, then we end up as part of a group think that thinks that the other is wrong, the other is evil. And we really lose the ability to have empathy. We lose the ability to have compassion. We lose the ability to seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And all of those, I think, wonderful qualities that we want to develop within ourselves. And that happens because we get caught up. Our, our teeter-totter, if you will, gets off its fulcrum balance and ends up on one side or the other, or it ends up doing both, going back and forth like this or swinging back and forth like a pendulum. Hope that makes sense for you. Now, the other thing that will happen when you begin to identify with the center point of the divine within you and you begin to become balanced and harmonious in this way, not seeking to eradicate one uh, in favor of the other, not choosing one over the other, but living in a central point of balance and harmony, then everything has its place and everything fits. And um, so it's a different perspective. But one of the things that will happen, too, is that you will open up more fully into the present moment. You will begin to free yourself from your attachments to the past or future outcomes, your attachments to those things. And your resistance to what is. And so I want to speak on this issue of resistance real quick, and then I'm just going to walk you quickly through a a spiritual practice, and we'll be done for today. But I want to talk about resistance, because this is another thing that lets us know that we're involved in a pendulum or that can cause us some, uh, just cause us to not live life to its fullest. It can also short-circuit the good things from coming into our lives, the the law of attraction from working and some things like that, when we're putting up resistance to what is. So our consciousness, our mind, can have a tendency to dwell in the past or to project ourselves into the future. We either dwell on our past because we have so many good memories in the past and we want to stay there and we want to relive those things, But if we get too preoccupied with that, then what we're doing is we're resisting our present moment. We're saying our past moment was better than our present moment was, and I wish I could go back into that past. And so the rebound effect, the boomerang effect, if you will, of that, I like rebound, rebound effect of that is going to be that we can begin to despise our present moment. We can begin to want to escape our present moment by living in the past. Now, the flip side of this, which I suppose maybe more people do than not, is we have a tendency to dwell on the negative things of our past. We dwell on our mistakes. We dwell on our what woulda, coulda, shoulda. If only I would have made a different decision at this point in my life. If only I hadn't given up 20 years, let's say, to this particular aspect of myself. Um, Where could I be today? Uh, Oh, my gosh, I'm a terrible person. We identify with the past. I did these things, so that makes me a horrible person. And we live in a society, especially with social media, that wants to shame you for your mistakes and wants to nail you to your coffin, like nail you, nail your coffin down and bury you with your past mistakes by shaming you, uh, rather than allowing you the opportunity to grow and to change, learn from those mistakes. Too often we have a tendency to want to, nail you to the cross in those mistakes and bury you and put the net, like I said, put the nail in the coffin there. And so we can get stuck in the past in that way. And that's, you know, can also lead to unpleasant 
emotional experiences, right? I'm living in regret, living with guilt, I'm living with shame, all that stuff. And then there's a fixation or a fascination on the future, and that can go a couple different ways. We can be thinking about the future in terms of I want to create a better future for myself, nothing wrong with that. Uh, to want to create a better future for yourself is to recognize the law of cause and effect or causes and effects that the choices that I make today, the things that I do t- today are going to create a trajectory that's going to determine to a large degree the tomorrow that I experience. So, for example, if I were to quit my job because I didn't like my job, uh, then perhaps the tomorrow that I experience is one with the debt collectors calling me and uh, losing my mortgage and having to find some place to live. And so I set up all kinds of really difficult circumstances for myself because I'm not forward thinking and I'm not thinking about my future in terms of my present moment and cause and effect. So there's, there's that, that's, that's a healthy balance, but we can get lost in these fantasies of the future where we're just sort of dreaming about some life that we want to live, some future experience or existence that we want to have that has really no reality to it in terms of our present moment life and what we're living. Or we can get stuck in worry, right? We can start thinking about a negative future that's going to come. We can start dwelling on the fact that we're all going to die. We can start dwelling on the fact that uh, worrying about losing our job and then start worrying about a future where maybe I lose my job. I don't quit my job in the present, but I lose my job because of various different things or the economy goes bad or the wrong party gets elected. And so now I don't have the power to get to the future that I want to. And so I'm worried about losing my home. I'm worried about bill collectors calling me and stuff like that because I'm worried about this future that hasn't happened yet. And if I'm spending too much time in my consciousness on either the past or the future and I'm not centered and just being in the moment, then what happens to me is what what the underlying problem that I have is not attention deficit disorder. It's not that I can't stay focused in the present moment. The real problem that I have is that I'm not accepting my present moment. I'm not in harmony with it, in other words. Whenever I'm putting up resistance to something, even if it's my present circumstances, I'm not in harmony with those things. And so someone might say, well, my present circumstances really suck. I don't want to be in harmony with those. I want to create something different. But if you're coming from a place of resistance, you're going to find it very difficult to do that because... um that's just the, the nature of things because the energy that you're operating out of, you're coming from a place of resistance. Now watch this. So if I'm resisting my present moment and I am trying to create, manifest a different and a better future for me because I hate where I'm at right now, then I'm coming out of the energy of resistance. So the seed or the power that I'm using to try to create a different future for myself originates from a place of resistance. So that power of resistance is in the act of creation that I'm trying to do for my future, which means then that that energy of resistance is going to resist the future as well. You see that? It's it's going to prevent the future from coming to me because I'm in resistance about my present. So I'm trying to create a future, not from a place of harmony and balance and being centered and, um, and moving from a place of peace. 
I'm doing it from a place of resistance and, oh, I don't want this and this is terrible. And so I'm resisting it and I'm angry about it. And then I'm trying to get to this other future. But what I'm doing is because I'm coming from that energy and I am divine and I am God, then I'm creating resistance to that future. So that future never comes, which then just leads to more frustration. And you can see how these things snowball. And then I find myself on this pendulum swing, right? Does that make sense? So put some thoughts in the comments. I can't see them today. I don't know why sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. <laughs> today I can't see them. I'm just looking at my Zoom screen. But I'll go back and look at them. Um, <clears throat> so, so what can we do as a spiritual practice to center ourselves? And so I want to walk you through that. I want to talk about a couple of things before I do that that are just very practical. Um, and I want to, I want to walk you through a form of meditation. And meditation can be so confusing for people because there's so many different types. There's guided meditations. There's meditations, uh, to help you. And a guided meditation might be to imagine a different future, put yourself there and feel like it's already happened. A guided meditation might be something that's putting auto suggestions in your mind about, um, to help you increase in your self-esteem or your self-confidence or your sense of self-efficacy. Um, other guided meditations might be leading you to connect with your spirit guides or that walking you on a spirit journey as the shamanic traditions talk about going on a, a spirit journey, going on a path working, that kind of stuff. Um, or there is people more influenced by Zen meditation who think that we're trying to reach samadhi, we're trying to reach this place of just bliss with no thought, no attachment, no ego, or an empty mind. And so people try to meditate and they notice how busy their mind is. And so they're focused on the mind, giving energy to the mind and trying to figure out how do I empty my mind and how do I get quiet, all this stuff. And so then then meditation becomes a frustrating experience for them. The word yoga in the East means to yoke up with, to yoke or to connect. And a true yogi is someone who is trying to yoke up with the divine, the divine presence. Now, keep in mind, it's not the anthropomorphic, the the God in man's image of the Western world, the God that's out there, that's a king sitting on a throne, that's a father uh, or a mother or something like that. It's It's much more anthropomorphic than that. It's to connect with the source of all that is, the great spirit, some traditions might call it. So not a form of God as father or mother or uh, king, those kinds of things, but just the divine pervasive presence. So the word spirit in Hebrew reflects this. And prana is akin to what the Hebrew Bible calls spirit. It is the all-pervading presence of the divine that Paul speaks to in Acts chapter 17 when he says, in him we live and move and have our very being. Uh, it's this idea that we're immersed into this ocean of God, that God's, that this animating force of life and consciousness is in all things. It's in the rocks and the trees. It's in matter, but it isn't matter. It's in the air, but it isn't air. It's this divine uh, pervading presence called prana. It's energy. And in the Hebrew, it's called spirit. Now, 
for yogis that if you're really practicing yoga and the yogis that I've talked to, the ones that are really mastered it and given their whole lives to it, it's not a form of exercise to get a tummy tuck <laughs> or to help you look better. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's just that's not how they think about yoga. They think about yoga as this connection with the divine, this harmony, this balance. And it begins with breath. So all meditation and all spiritual practice begins with breath. Now, interesting, in the Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. And the word for wind is also ruach. And so this idea of the air that we breathe is connected to spirit. We find that in the Western tradition as well. And so the idea is, is that when you breathe, you're taking in prana. The prana isn't the air, the, the oxygen, and whatever else is in our atmosphere that you're breathing in. Um, it is the energy. It's the life force and the energy. And so taking that in with intention and focusing on the breath is the key to all yogic meditation. Aside from all the poses and postures and mudras and chants and all that stuff, primarily it's the breath. And so <clears throat> let's just... um. So, so there's that part of it that I want you to understand. And then the second thing I want you to understand is that you have an energetic body that is built up of this, this prana, but not, not built up. I mean, I don't want to say it that way. I want you to become aware of the fact that you have an energetic body that's, uh, interpenetrating your physical body, both within and without. Some people call it aura. Some people call it your spirit body. Some people call it your etheric body. Some people call it your astral body. Whatever, it's all semantics to me. But I want you to experience yourself as an energetic presence. And we're going to connect our breath with that energetic presence that we are. And then we're going to center in with our heart. And uh, and it's going to be very simple. So if you have a chance to do this, um, if you're driving or something, obviously you can't practice this with me. But I'd encourage you to come back and at whatever point we are at, you know, mark this time, and then you can fast forward and you can come back to this time and just practice it when you get a chance. So if, if you're able to sit in a comfortable position, feet flat on the floor, um, and both hands on your lap, not touching, your hands, fingers not touching, so that you're symmetrical, nothing's touching, your feet aren't crossed, not crossing this midline, you're perfectly symmetrical. And I want you to just kind of begin to notice where you have tension in your body and kind of stretch it out a little bit. So I always carry tension up in here. So I'm going to loosen and stretch that out just a little bit. Deep breath. And I want you to just focus on relaxing. You can close your eyes. You can focus on a certain point. I'm going to focus on a point because I don't want to close my eyes while I'm on Zoom. I don't know why. I just don't want to look like I'm sleeping while I'm doing my life. Um. But I want you to just focus on that point and just what you're going to do is you're going to breathe in. If you're able to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And I want you to practice breathing from your diaphragm. So most Western people breathe up like that. I'm exaggerating it, but your shoulders move. And you're using a whole different muscle set. If you watch a baby breathe, they breathe from their stomachs. Their shoulders don't move. Their stomach goes up and down. And so... We want to learn how to return to that. Your diaphragm's a muscle, so it might be a little weak depending on how you're used to breathing. So you can take your hands if you want to for this part of the exercise and lay them over your stomach so that you make sure your stomach is moving as you're breathing. 
and just breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And I want you to focus on where that tension is, and I want you to just set your intention with that tension to breathe in relaxation through your nose. So I'm breathing in relaxation, sending it to my shoulders, and then I'm releasing as I exhale stress and tension. And relax. Breathing into those muscles, breathing in relaxation. Releasing all stress and tension. So I get in sort of this nice relaxed place. Now what I want you to do is focus on the breath, but I want you with intention when you breathe in this time, you're going to breathe in that pranic energy. Breathe in that spiritual, spiritual energy. Breathe in that energy of life, that vitality, that divine life. So you're breathing in through your nose, through your intention. And then you're going to hold it. And then as you exhale, you're going to exhale with the intention that the energy stays in, but the breath goes out. Hold it. Energy stays in. Breath goes out. And I want you to think about yourself building up spiritual energy each time you breathe. Now, I'm going to take it one step further. And I want you to imagine that you're able to breathe in through the top of your head, right through the soft spot. And I want you to imagine that you're, you're just breathing in this energy right into the center of your, your belly right here and just holding it. And then the energy stays in. The breath goes out. And I want you to just imagine that you're, you're building up a, like a bonfire of energy, if you will, in your solar plexus, in your, in your belly. Now, focusing on your breath. As you mentioned, breathing in that energy, pulling it all the way into your belly, holding your breath. Now, putting that all together for a few breaths. Imagine breathing in as slowly as you can, 
breathing in. Now, you might begin to feel some emotional stuff getting stirred up. Sometimes when people slow their breath down, especially if they're living in a place, really carrying it in your energy body, which is why energy work is such an important part of really good psychotherapy because we can change the mind through cognition and all that stuff, but we need to be able to release the energies. So I hope while I'm talking, you're just continuing to breathe slowly. And you should have a good, solid sense of energy in here right now. Now, and you should maybe start to sense that prana energy affecting and activating your etheric or your spiritual body. If not, don't worry about it. With enough practice, you will. Now, I want you to just picture like a pendulum in your mind. And I want you to see that pendulum swinging. Don't focus so much on your breath now. Just let, just let go. Just stay focused on that energy that you've built up in your belly. And I want you just to imagine, you can even hear it like a tick-tock inside your head. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Sing that pendulum. And then I want you to see it slowing down. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Just like that, yeah. Until it slowly comes to a center point. And then I want you to just give yourself the affirmation. I'm coming into my center point. Balance and harmony. Now I want you to just be aware of your heart. The beating of your heart. Be aware of your breath. Be aware of the energy in the center of your stomach. Keeping that picture of that pendulum in your mind. Perfectly still. Energy stays in, breath goes out. Being aware of your heart, living from your heart. And now from this place, being totally and completely aware of this present moment. Nothing exists, nothing matters but this present moment in time. And feel your center being. Realize that you are a point of consciousness. It has been with you since the beginning of time and will go with you even beyond this life. Connect with that. Don't try too hard. If you're trying too hard, you're putting up resistance. Just sort of let it happen. Sort of let it fall into place. And now I want you to just give yourself the affirmation, I'm letting go of all resistance. I'm letting go of all resistance to myself. Letting go of all resistance to the negative aspects of myself. Letting go of all resistance to my past. Letting go of all resistance to my present. I'm accepting all things as they are. Just quietly giving yourself these affirmations. I accept all things as they are. I accept everyone I meet as they are. Accept every aspect of my life as it is.
I accept myself as I am. And just really feel yourself letting go of that resistance. Again, there can be panic that starts to come up. So I'm just sensing that. Somebody, um, when you do these kind of exercises, you're starting to feel panic coming up inside you. That's okay. Just let it be there. Just just be with it for a moment. You won't get stuck in it. If you need to stop, you can stop. It's okay. You can come back and work with it later. Um, gradually, if you can only do this for a couple minutes or five minutes, the more you're able to sit with that feeling and let that feeling come up and just kind of process through you. Can you breathe prana into that where that feeling of panic is? And just as you exhale, let it go. And then just tell yourself, everybody, just tell yourself, I'm okay as I am. Now I want you to focus on that bonfire of energy that we built up, pranic energy that we built up in the center of our being. And as you exhale now, I want you to circulate. I want you to imagine yourself circulating that energy. So once you bring it up from your belly in your mind, up from your belly in your mind, into your heart, and then let your heart pump it out to the rest of your being. Just imagine, just like your heart's pumping blood. Now as you breathe in, Drawing that prana up into your heart, and as you exhale, allowing it to flow through your entire meridian system. The meridian system is your energetic system. It's the energetic system of your energy body. With the intention of sending yourself love and acceptance. As I circulate that energy, I'm sending myself love and acceptance, saying hi to myself, saying good morning to myself, just telling myself I love you just the way you are. Now, you might start to notice that you've gotten too attached to a pendulum, too carried away on a pendulum. If you just notice that and just set the intention and just say, it's okay, it's all right. I accept that I'm attached to this pendulum. That pendulum of energy is going to be there whether I'm attached to it or not. And I'm just going to gently allow myself to disconnect from that. And come back into my center. Now I want you to just take three quick sort of sharp breaths in and out. Just real quick. Ready? Three quick breaths. All the way out. One more. Now I want you to settle into that place and just kind of come back to an awareness of the physical surroundings, back into external awareness, back into awareness of this present moment. Begin to kind of rub your hands together, stretch a little bit, move around, 
so that you're centering yourself in this physical moment. Hope that helped you. Hope you feel better. Um, and I hope, again, share your thoughts with me on this because it's an evolving mindset that I have. It's not something I'm drawing from a book either. Uh, it's just something as I'm experiencing life, meditating, having my own experiences and communion with the divine, uh, that these ideas are coming to me. A um, little bit, obviously, the book with the reality transurfing, and obviously I'm borrowing from other sources. I'm not trying to deny that in any way, but the way I'm articulating it, the way it's crystallizing, the way it's coming together is more of an intuitive thing for me than anything else. So anyway, love you guys. Um, God bless you. Thanks for watching. Uh, I hope you benefited from this and enjoyed this. And uh, wherever you are, uh, I hope it's wonderful for you.